It's the Memorial Day sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Sean Del Grand. And we've got over 800 brand new Mazdas with outstanding incentives, like low monthly lease payments and low APR financing. Yep, it's just a great time to buy. So don't miss the Memorial Day sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Financing on approval of credit. You're listening to Morning Tide, the official morning show podcast of the San Jose Sharks. Now, here's your host, Ted Ramey. Both goals coming in the first period from Carrier and Marcheseau. Here's a chance for McNabb. He scores! The second shorthanded goal in as many games for Vegas. It's 3-0. I don't know what, what is happening right now, but it's not us. You know, we, we again barely play Ozone. We just can get it back and it's it's not about young guys it's about you know you know top guys it's about me other guys you know we have to step up and be there you know special in power play we we you know we got three shorties and two games and just can happen you know we, we need these goals and and you know it's early to the still season we have just two games behind we have to figure out and and just start start play like you know some are sharks not just like some team to just meet like a couple of weeks and just they exactly we do it opposite what we're supposed to be so we have to figure out and start play like team and and our system you know well you have to you know i think that's the bottom line you know we're, we're integrating some young players in the lineup and and you know the message you, you can't drag this stuff around like i said we we we, we drew a a very good team maybe the best team in the west right out of the gate and they showed us uh you know, how it's supposed to look, and we've got some work to do. Okay. All right, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Morning Tide. I'm your host, Ted Ramey. I am so happy to be with you, as always, and I got to say, I, I'm i reacting to this start of the season in a couple ways, and the first is that, like everybody else, I would be much happier if the Sharks were not 0-3 to start the year, but I got to admit, the, the fans that are out there, um, freaking out on social media, going nuts, talking about all the ills and the wrongs and the so forths. I do 100% appreciate and understand where you're coming from. I may not agree with your overall assessment, but I get it. I mean, I listen, we all have the baseline fan in us that looks to an 0-3 start and looks at inherent problems and says, what is wrong? What can be done to fix this situation? Why aren't things going the way we expect them to do to, to happen? And I think that this also plays down to an overall feeling of passion, right? I mean, if you have a team and the fan base is not perturbed by a slow start, I think that speaks ill of the team, not ill of the fan base. We have a level of expectation with the San Jose Sharks for better or for worse. And whether or not that's fair or not, that's really not up to me. That's really not up to you. The Sharks have set a standard over the last 15 years and arguably over the entirety of the organization's life that you expect them to perform at a very, very high level. You expect them to be a team that wins more often than not, that they do come out of the gates hot, that they do enter a season as one of the best teams in the league. That's just what we expect of the San Jose Sharks at this point. And 
meeting that at this point is a product from the Sharks that we consider to be a deviation from the norm. The team does not appear to be hitting on all cylinders. The team does not appear to have great chemistry at the moment. The team is incorporating young players. The team is in a period of transition. And the juxtaposition of that against the Las Vegas team, particularly in those first two games, listen, I'm not going to lie. Right now, Las Vegas is a better team than the Sharks. And we heard Pete DeBoer say as much after the the second game. And that doesn't mean to me that the Sharks cannot come to meet them as the season goes on. But when I look at the Golden Knights, that's a team that was built to hit the ground running this year, whereas the Sharks, in my opinion, were not built to hit the ground running. This is a team that is in transition, moving away from its previous top goal scorer and team captain and Joe Pavelski, incorporating young players. And I think overall, for all the Evander Kane haters out there who are not the biggest fan of his game, maybe you suddenly realize through those first three games that you miss the guy, that you need him out there on the ice, that he does things in various aspects of the game where you think to yourself, hey, we miss Evander Kane. We could use him out here on the ice right now. And I think a lot of the negativity towards Kane stems from the fact that he did not have a great postseason, which listen, I mean, he was going through a lot last year and I'm not trying to absolve him of any of his uh, performance, which was less than his own level of expectation, which he has said himself, but Evander Kane not being out there hurts the sharks, whether or not you're his biggest fan or not. And I, I happen to like the guy a pretty, pretty good amount. You know, he, is a big part of what the Sharks do. And there's a reason the team invested in him. And there's the reason they brought him over here. And when you don't have him out there on the ice, it hurts the team. And I I think that that was something that was borne out as well. And I think that, again, people who were not fans um, of Evander Kane, they probably realized just how important he is to what the Sharks do. Even if he is not scoring goals, his presence out there on the ice gives the opposition something to worry about. It gives the opposition another stick to pay attention to. And I think that when he does get back out there with the Sharks, you're going to see a slight uptick in performance that will lead to better results. At least I I assume it will yield better results. But listen, I mean, there is legitimate concern out of these first three games. But, you know, in sports, it is not how you start. It's how you finish. And I love Devin Setaguchi coming out there on Twitter after everybody was freaking out and saying, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff, and how the Sharks made mistakes, and blah, 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 blah. He's saying, listen, the team that won the Stanley Cup last year was in last place in January, so we should, you know, calm ourselves. And listen, does that mean we should not be, you know, troubled by any of the early trends we see from the Sharks? No, of course not. Everything that you look at in the micro, of course, is in and of itself troubling, but you can do that on a possession-by-possession basis. You can do that by a period-by-period basis. You can do that on a game-by-game basis, month-by-month, season-by-season. I tend to trend towards the long term because I think the first three games of a season for a team that is relatively in transition, it's not going to be the greatest tell of what the Sharks are. It is telling of what the Sharks are right now. And that's a team that has not found itself. And that's a team that is losing and having its worst start in a a quarter century. The 0-3 start, uh, the aggregate score differential, um, losing these first three games in the way they have. Yes, it's relatively troubling. But I keep on coming back to the idea that it's three games. 
And that means there's 79 more games in the season. The first game of the year, you're without two of your best players in Eric Carlson and Evander Kane. The second game of the year, you're still without Evander Kane. You get Eric Carlson back after a tremendously emotional event in his life. And you're going up against, again, Las Vegas, who enters this year, again, a team that hits the ground running. And again, I'm not absolving the Sharks of anything. I'm just trying to put it in the big picture perspective of what we're seeing on the ice versus our expectations. Because the difference between reality and expectation is either where disappointment or happiness lies, right? I mean, when that that void That difference between reality and expectation, you're either overwhelmingly pleased with it or you're disappointed with it. And right now, there is some disappointment. But again, I hearken on the idea that it's three games in. But I'm not going to deny I do love the passion. If you are a team and you don't have a fan base that's willing to be upset after a couple of games... I think that means that you've put the bar pretty darn low and the San Jose Sharks have put the bar pretty darn high. We expect them to come out flying and it's not something I expect to continue. If we are a month into the season and the Sharks are still in a bad way, then yes, we can have valid concerns about what we're seeing from the team. But until we get to that point, I think you're going to have to just wait a little bit to see a regression to the mean a rectification to watch the Sharks perform at a level that we are relatively um, expecting of them. And I know you can say, well, Ted, you, you know, you're, you're looking at this from the perspective of working for the team and I get it. I get it. And I understand that that is, I'm not going to deny that, but I also say this from the fact that I'm a Sharks fan. I know and understand exactly what everybody's going through. I experience the highs. I experience the lows And it's not fun when your team is losing, especially to the bitter rivals in Las Vegas. That I I don't like that. I don't like seeing them beat us in their house. I don't like seeing them beat us in our house. I don't like seeing them beat us in any capacity. I like beating them. I like seeing us come out ahead of things when the scoreline is all said and done at the end of a game. But again, right now, Las Vegas is playing at a higher level than the Sharks and For the first three games of the year, the Sharks overall are not as good as I think they are capable of being. I don't think that's some hot take, but again, I'm not going to deny that I appreciate the passion that everybody is showing in the Sharks fan base. Now, one concern that everybody's talking about, of course, is the power play and giving up the shorthanded goals. You don't like that. I'm not going to deny that, but... I think, and we saw particularly in the second game, there's a bit of a muscle memory on that power play with regards to Joe Pavelski. And again, this is what I allude to when I'm talking about a team in transition. You saw Brent Burns throwing pucks towards the net because for him, that's what they've done. And I don't have a problem with that, by the way. I think the Sharks could continue and should continue that style of putting the puck in front of the net, working on that tip play. I talked to Jamie Baker about this previously. We talked about the need to have each Sharks forward um, in practice working with Brent Burns because that can be such an effective play. But of course, part of that was the God-given ability, the eye-hand coordination, the ability to slow things down uh, that Joe Pavelski had. But that doesn't mean that other guys can't step step up and get that going. But I think we saw a little bit of that muscle memory, particularly in the second game, where that was what was happening, um, where you wasted, you know, some possessions in that capacity, or you you just kind of gave away some better looks because again, it's muscle memory. And I, I understand that that's part of what you do in sports. You expect things to have a level of continuation. And from Brett Burns, 
he's had this entire time in his tenure with the Sharks where he's been able to throw that puck in and there's been somebody there that's able to do something with it. And I again, I think that that's A, something you want to keep on trying, but something you have to be more adaptive of in the real time to not do that because it's not quite clicking like it was before. But again, ask questions of the guy, you know, in front of the net, right? Like create chaos in front of him. You want to put the onus on the opposition. You want to make them respond. Again, the shorthanded goals, I have more of an issue with that because you just, you can't be doing that. When you have the opportunities, when you have the man advantage, you have to score. You can't be giving up goals. Uh, let's go to head coach Pete DeBoer, his thoughts on what he's seen out of the power play. This was after uh, the Las Vegas game because I thought it was a, uh, a more telling quote. Um, you know what? I don't know. I mean, we're, we're two games into the season. I, I think right now, for me, the power play is going to be the least of my worries. I think when I look back at the at the season, we've got to find a way to, to get four lines of uh, of guys out there that can put pressure on on the other team without giving up stuff going the other way. I know the power play was it was messy tonight, but you know, I'm not worried about getting a you know a good unit of five guys that are going to be effective this year. There, it's going to be you know finding four lines of guys that I think uh, can play to our identity and get over the boards and, and, you know, put some pressure on the other team. So if you want to go big picture on the power play, what we've seen so far, 0 for 5 in game number one of the season against Las Vegas. In game number two of the season, the Sharks were 0 for 5 again. And then in game number three against Anaheim, you are looking at 0 for 4. So, so 0 for 14 on the year so far through three games with a few shorties mixed in. That's obviously not making anybody happy, and it is at this point a relative cause for concern, but it's a trend that I don't think we should expect to continue, um, and I think it's something that we expect the Sharks to, uh, to rectify, and the coaching staff is going to be working hard to do so. To go over everything we've seen so far, let's go out to the phone lines. We now have joining us on Morning Tide, Kendall Coyne Schofield. She is one of the fastest skaters on earth, and you, of course, know her exploits with the United States Women's National Team. She is an Olympic gold medalist. Kendall, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Ted. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate uh, having you come on and stuff, and I know that everybody um, in the South Bay and the entirety of the Bay Area is really excited about having you join the Sharks broadcast team. And uh, I'm just curious, because every athlete that ends up in broadcasting has their own route um, that takes them to the broadcasting world. I'm curious, are you surprised that this is where um, your career has led you? Because, uh, you know, every athlete, like I said, has their own distinct path, and I'm not sure everybody understands or realizes that this is where it's going to take them. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, it's not a surprising path for me ever since... I went through the college recruiting process. I wanted to go to a school where I knew I could be a student athlete and pursue a broadcasting career. So when I was looking at Northeastern University and the opportunities that they had there for me, um, that was something I, I always wanted to pursue. Uh, so I would do a little sideline reporting uh, after my game and usually for the men's games when I could. Um, so I, I always had an interest in broadcasting, but I'm so fortunate to be able to join the Sharks broadcast team while I'm still playing with the women's national team and the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association this year. So it's a unique situation to be playing and broadcasting, but I'm really excited for the opportunity. What do you think you bring in terms of your own viewpoint? Like, why do you view yourself as having a unique viewpoint on the game? 
I think they bring a unique unique viewpoint from not only the women's game, the men's game, and as a player currently involved in the game. Uh, I think between those three aspects, it it brings it brings a unique unique viewpoint. Um, you know, it, it's while I'm still playing, I can definitely resonate with the players, the grind that that they're embracing. You know, the the different seasons, whether it's the start of the season, the end of the season, and the playoff season. Um, I know I don't play you know 82 game schedule but um you know I definitely embrace the grind understand the grind and um can bring that perspective to the table as well yeah and I, I always talk about how people like to uh enjoy the the physical nature of hockey and they talk about how hockey players are are, are tough guys but I you know and tough players overall but do you think do you think that hockey players in general like I don't think you ever go into a game thinking that you feel sorry for yourself or that you're banged up is it so such the norm at this point in your career just be like hey that you know my ankle my knee my hip my shoulder it doesn't feel 100% that's not really going to be part of your mindset as you take the ice definitely not and I think that's what makes a player elite is the fact that they can tune those things out whether it's a distraction an injury you know you're not feeling 100% you're never feeling 100% you know everyone would love to feel 100% every day but when you've gotten to the level you you have and you're at the pinnacle of your sport 100% isn't a thing so you need <laughs> to, you need to be 100% upstairs and that's what separates the best from the best is who's 100% mentally ready and i think you know you can see that in everyone's play whether you know whether it's a game or a practice when you're and when you've been making your way to a gold medal i'm curious how much thought went into the physical aspect before a game versus the mental aspect before a big game which were you more focused on well when you get to the olympic games you've been thinking about that moment for four years uh you know the guys think about the stanley cup at the end at the end of the year but for us the olympics are are every four years and we're training every single day for that moment so um, you know, once you get to the Olympic Games, the physical preparation is over. It's more of a maintenance, making sure you're you're able to compete day one like you are day 14 of the games. Uh, so it's definitely a mental – the mental preparation is what we're focusing on while we're there and preparing for, you know, the different cultures, the different foods, the atmosphere, you know, some things that might come up being, you know, overseas and how to handle those things and not make them a distraction. And all of those little things – make a difference in the end so I would say it's the mental fine-tuning that we do when we're there and um, you know if you're not ready to go physically when you get there you're likely not going to win. Before a gold medal game was there anything that went through your mind that you were surprised did go through your mind at that point was there any part of that process that surprised you? Uh, I think with this time in 2018 being my second time around my nerves were less uh, I had more control over my nerves, and I just remember saying to the team, don't let the highs get too high and don't let the lows get too low, and I thought our team did an incredible job with that. Obviously, there was a lot of drama in the game with the shootout, um, some penalties, and just an, an amazing game that you know we were so mentally in tuned in that game the entire time that um, you know I had no doubt that that we went and walked away with that gold medal. And uh, it was a long four years between the silver and the gold, but um, our team had a mix of veterans and, and rookies. And I wouldn't even, I hate calling them rookies because they had national team experience and you would never know that they've never been in the Olympic games because they were so physically and mentally sharp and ready to go that you wouldn't, you would never know that they were nervous. 
Again, we're joined by Kendall Coyne Schofield right now here on Morning Tide. We're recording this on Saturday afternoon before the Sharks have their third game of the year. Kendall, the Sharks' first two games of the year has not gone very well against Las Vegas. And my take has just been the fact that these are two different teams right now. The, the Vegas team entering this year is kind of a team that's hitting the ground running, whereas the Sharks are very much in a transitional period where they're trying to incorporate a lot of young players, um, a lot of uh, new talents to the team. Am I being a homer by saying that, or is there some validity to that statement? No, I, I absolutely think, especially watching the first two games, that's that's something I noticed as well. I think, you know, you have to. Th I've been in the situation of of Vegas where we lost to Canada, and I remember waiting four years for that moment to to get back at them. And Vegas had they didn't have to they didn't have to go very far on the calendar, but they had these two games circled, ready to go because they're still fired up about Game Seven last year, and. In addition, with the roster, like you said, Vegas, Vegas has does hasn't seen much change. They're ready to go, and you know, Sharks on the other hand, they've had some changes that they are going to have to adapt to, and it's going to take some time. And obviously, you know, Eric Carlson being out game one was was a shock. And mm -hmm. congratulations to him and his wife on the birth of their daughter. I hope she's a future hockey player. But you know that that was challenging as well. That that was really tough, and you have guys that need to step up, and you know. But again, it, it's it's only we're at we're at game three here, so we're all good. Yeah, I know it's funny to watch people overreact on social media, which is uh, such a fun part of uh, modern sports. I'm sure you, as a professional athlete, appreciate, and I'm being uh, facetious there, appreciate the immediate reaction from social media. Um, I want to get your thoughts on Martin Jones because he got pulled from game two, obviously. But I've really thought that even though the Vegas Golden Knights have put goals up against the Sharks, it. I can't really put the blame on him for the majority of these goals. Oh, definitely not. I think the, the especially the first game, the four to one game, it could have been a lot worse if he didn't stand on his head. And so I thought Martin Jones looked great. He put in a lot of work, you know, the first game and a half that that he was in. And that's you know, it's it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so he, he definitely. They can't blame him, and and there's no you can never blame a loss on one player, in my opinion. That's why we play this game. Um, you know, we're not golfers. We we can't. You know, we love the we love the team game. You know, and in golf, you know who makes the mistake, right? Or who 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 wins? Like wins uh, the game. But for us, it's you know it's a team game, and that's why we love it, and that's why we do it. And you you can't blame one guy for a loss. Have you been in that uh, position where you've had to go up to your to your netminder and say? put that out of your head, forget about it, let's just go on to the next one. Because I often say that in sports, uh, goalies and pitchers, it's the two most loneliest places in all of sports because they're kind of out there by themselves on an island. Absolutely, and I think the goalies are the most mentally sharp players on the team. And there's no doubt in my mind Martin Jones is has, already has that game behind him. You know, learn you learn from what, you know, you learn from that game, what can you do better, and you move on. If you can't move on, you're going to, you're going to take yourself right out of the league because everyone makes mistakes every single day. You're not, you're, like I said, you're, you're not hundred percent. You might be 99 on game two, but you're not a hundred percent. And you know, it, it's so early in the season that, you know, that every, everyone there's, they're, they're going to click on all cylinders eventually, but it, it just takes time. That's as simple as that. You cannot replicate a game rep in training camp. You cannot replicate, replicate a game rep in the, in the off season. The last game rep they got was last last season in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. So it's no surprise that there's a little rust 
going on right now heading into game three. One of the things we've noticed so far is that the power play hasn't been clicking. And, of course, I look at the absence of Joe Pavelski because, of course, this guy was, you know, one of the faces of the franchise. He's the captain. But beyond that, he was known for that tip play. You could have Brent Burns from the blue line fire in a shot, and Joe Pavelski knew how to tip it in. We saw in the preseason Dylan Gambrell was able to uh, score uh, one of those from Burns, and it looked like Burns, especially last night, was trying to make that play happen again, but nobody was there to, to knock it in. And in your opinion, is this something that all these forwards need to be working with Burns in practice, that tip play? Because it's it's been so successful for the Sharks in the past. How much of that can be developed versus how much of that was the natural ability for Pavelski? Well, I think you have to call spade a spade. Joe Pavelski is one of the best to play the game. So it's it's obviously hard to re- replace him immediately but again it's the transition that that they're going through they'll fi- they'll find who it's going to be but i think yes it you know it's a combination of getting touches with Burnsy up top and you know getting a player that that's going to own that position and that's going to be successful in that position um you know i i still think they're they're figuring out like you said Gambrell was there and but again it's it takes time it, it there's going to be um, games where reps will come together and it looks right. In terms of the first two games and some of the weaknesses, the Sharks were a little bit sloppy with the puck in the neutral zone, which put um, a lot of onus on Martin Jones, one of the reasons he found himself in some bad situations. What do you think is the number one thing the Sharks need to improve on now that you've seen these first two games? I would say the the play below the goal line in the D zone. Uh, I felt it was a little rushed. Um, Pucks were being thrown everywhere. Turnovers were caused that way. And you have to give credit to Vegas as well. Their forecheck was unbelievable. They were all over the Sharks' D. Uh, and I think the separation between the D and, and the fours in the D zone was a little bit spacious, and it led to some turnovers and led to some havoc below the below the tops of the circles, which is not comfortable for anyone in the D zone. Um, so I think the, the gap between the forwards and the D and the D zone and the plays that are made exiting the zone lead to – a more positive rush if they can clean up that area. Awesome, Kendall. I know it's a busy day for you as always, so I'll let you go. But I really appreciate your time, and I'm very excited to see you join the uh, Sharks broadcast crew this year and uh, hear what you have to say about all the action. Thank you, Ted. I really appreciate it, and I'm, I'm really excited to join the team. Again, that is Kendall Coyne-Schofield, the newest member of the San Jose Sharks broadcast team, and I am just absolutely stoked for her to join the crew. And, I, you know, I talked to Jamie Baker about this, and he was stoked to have her join as well. And we've seen her uh, broadcast work in limited capacities up to this point, but um, somebody with her pedigree, with her levels of experience, to see what she's going to be able to bring to these broadcasts, I am uh, I'm really, really excited for it. And I think everybody should really uh, appreciate what she brings um, to the table as well. And again, uh, just having her uh, join the crew, I think is, uh, is awesome. And, you know, having more and more viewpoints, looking at what the sharks do, especially um, in the Bay area, where this is a market we, where we are known for our diversity. We're looking at everybody's viewpoint um, to have her join the crew. I think this is awesome. And I think it's going to do good things for the, uh, the broadcast going uh, forward. Um, even if she's only able to join us in a relatively limited capacity, I'm still excited for everything she's going to be able to, to bring to the games. And, my my greatest hope is that you know she's going to be able to talk about greater sharks performances as they get into this year because again 
I understand where everybody is coming from. I, too, do not like the shorties they're giving up. I, too, am concerned about the lack of effectiveness on the power play. I, too, am concerned about the fact that the team does not appear to be clicking on all cylinders or hitting on all cylinders at this point. But again, I just have to hammer home the idea that you're three games in. And we heard Pete DeBoer talking about this, saying that they're doing more teaching in practice, particularly with the young guys, than what they've really ever had to do um, You know, since he's taken over with the team. We've seen more of just defined entities, defined realities with the Sharks, and this is a transitional year. But again, I think overall you see what this team is capable of and you see what the idea can be. It's just a matter of getting it to be at that point. And it's probably going to take some time. And that incorporates, of course, growing pains. And no one ever says that any project that you undertake is going to be easy. But again, you are waiting for this to transform into a vision. And if you want to get down to the the meat and potatoes of it or the bones of the issue, when Doug Wilson has been able to make these moves, when he's been able to make these big changes to the Sharks, it's paid off. Whether it's been Joe Thornton, whether it's been making the hard decisions with a, a Patty Marlowe or, or Joe Pavelski or bringing in Eric Carlson or Evander Kane or Brent Burns, you know, you go down the list, it's worked. The track record shows that Doug Wilson and Pete DeBoer or whoever has been the Sharks head coach before, they've been able to incorporate the ideology to sustain and create success. And I don't think that after three games, we should find ourselves in a situation to where you don't think that's going to occur. Now, am I going to tell you to enjoy the losses, everyone? It's been No, of course not. You hate losing. The guys on the eight ice hate losing. There's no denying that. Nobody's going to go out there and say that they appreciate what's been happening so far, that you don't want a greater level of ability. But that's not, again, that's not the defined long-term reality of what we all expect to see this year. I don't think that Doug Wilson looked at this from some Jerry Jones vein and said, I'm going to get superstar Eric Carlson, and that's going to sell a lot of jerseys, and that's going to make it. No. He, he went with the long-term investment with Eric Carlson because it was the smart move. And he looked at what he had in terms of young players coming up with the Barracuda, young players existing on the Sharks, players they were, had in their sights that they thought they could b- bring in and succeed. And I think he said to himself, this is a time that where we have to make this change to continue to sustain the long-term success and put us in a position year after year to contend for the Cup. And again... That doesn't mean you love what you've seen out of the first three games, but to me, it also tells me that there is a plan at work that I think I at least have faith in from what we've seen in the past that this is going to work out. Does that mean that the first three games have been pretty? No, but you're at least getting Evander Kane back and that's going to be an immediate boost to the offense. Does that mean that the first month of the season might not be the prettiest thing ever? No, but listen, I mean, you look at what the Sharks did last year. I mean, we had the big quote from Logan Gatrue said it doesn't take this many games to build chemistry. And again, that was a leadership moment from Logan Gatrue. And if he thinks things are going poorly again, Logan Gatrue is going to pick his spot on when he wants to inject himself. And that comes with having that C on his chest or on his sweater. I, you know, I, I, I think that you look at what he's been able to do in the past of what Brent Burns has been able to do in the past Joe Thornton, you go down the list. 
you're got a little bit of a cold spell to start the year. And I think this will rectify itself, especially as guys that are part of the team now that haven't been before or are getting more time on the ice that, than what they've compared to in the past. They are going to improve. They are going to gain these chemistries relative to the other guys that are they're out on the ice with. They are going to perform at a higher level. Now, the things that you don't like are some of these injuries you've seen so far. Uh, Prout, Middleton, you don't like that in the slightest. That's something that, again, is going to have to be... Um, dealt with for lack of a better term, but that's, listen, it's the NHL. If you expect to go through the entirety of the season uninjured and healthy, I I don't know. I don't don't know what sport you've been watching, but that's not how hockey, that's not how the NHL works. You have to be able to adapt to your different realities and put yourself in a position where you can handle these injuries. And that's one of the reasons why the Sharks brought the Barracuda out from Worcester, because you wanted this infrastructure. You wanted to be able to get a close look, game in, game out of these guys at the lower level to where you can insert them into the Sharks level and have that organizational depth. I think that's an overused but underrated idea in a all sports but particularly uh the nhl you know i've been to these barracuda games doug wilson is out there watching these games some of the sharks players themselves i've seen out there at these games and it's not like they're trying to make themselves be known but these guys are all out there watching the the guys at the ahl level seeing who can be up next who's worthy of that level, who they can plug and play in different scenarios and different situations and yield the greatest results. And it doesn't always look that way because you're, if you're not at these Barracuda games, you don't see the reality um, that maybe you would, you would otherwise. But again, I get the frustrations. I understand what you're looking at after three games to start the year in which you're having your worst start in a quarter century. But hey, you know, there's always the next game and I imagine things with the Sharks will rectify themselves uh, sooner rather than later. And if they don't, we'll continue to break it down and continue to talk about uh, everything we're seeing on the ice, what's going wrong, what's going right, what needs to correct itself, and you know what we can figure out about what the Sharks are going to do going forward. At this point, the turnovers, the, the, the power plays, lack of productivity, and giving up shorthanded goals are all part of the issue. And I think that what we've seen from, you know, Jones and Dell so far has not been the issue in the slightest, which I'm pleased with. I mean, I think you look at those first two games against Las Vegas, and I don't put that on Martin Jones. I, you know, I we talked about this with Kendall Coyne Schofield. She didn't either. Uh, again, the Sharks have got to be better. They've not got to turn pucks over deep in their own zone or in the neutral zone and sell out Martin Jones. And I, I use that term not in the pejorative, but I mean, that's just how it, that's just how it happens. You, you, you put a guy in a bad situation, that's not going to do good things for your team. But again, we're three games in. I hate to sound like a broken record, but you know, in my life as a sports broadcaster, um, as a fan, as a, a pundit, as a talk show host, you react to three games in, of course. But that's not the be-all, end-all of what we're going to see over the course of this season. And we just have to take it game by game. And I imagine that when we check in a week from this morning, there's probably going to be at least one win on the board. And one is, uh, well, it's better than zero. I'll put it that way, guys. But hey, have a great morning, everyone. I'm looking forward to everything we're going to see this week from the Sharks again as they go out onto the road. And uh, we'll we'll review it from here. So uh, a big thanks to Kendall Coyne Schofield for joining me on uh, this morning's show. I really appreciate her time. Um, and I think she's going to be a great addition to the broadcast crew. And uh, again, let's go from here, guys, and see what happens next with the San Jose Sharks. For Team Teal, I'm Ted Ramey signing off.